Well, good morning again. Thanks so much for being here this morning. This week, uh, there has been a lot of excitement around the building this week. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been one of those weeks where <clears throat> I've, got, um, I've got a little bit of a thing where sometimes I have trouble focusing on the task at hand. I don't know if anybody else has that thing. And I'm a bit of a social butterfly. And so, you know, when there's 10 people in the building that aren't normally in here every day all throughout the week, I didn't get anything done. I did a lot of chatting with people, and that was very exciting. And I got just enough done to piece together something to talk about here this morning. So hopefully, uh, we can all grab something out of that. Now, I've kept Amy up here for a minute, and we'll get there in a second. But uh, this week is really exciting because we're headed into kids' camp. And the theme of this week coming up is uh, God's love is monumental. And so for this week and next week, We're going to spend a little bit of time, we're going to break from our regular summer series and we're going to talk just about what's happening this coming week because I think it's really important. And as we're going to find out this morning, although some of the things that the kids are going to learn this week seem really simple and really easy and nice and clean one-liners, for us, some of them, they're actually really, really deep uh, and sometimes difficult things uh, to put our hearts, and minds around. Now, we are going to spend most of Kids Camp going through the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph stretches from Genesis chapter 37 to about 46 or 47. That's where we would head. And so I'm going to read 10 chapters of Genesis here for you this morning. No. I'm going to give you... So this morning is going to be a little different because you're not going to have a little bit of Scripture up there. I'm just going to sort of tell you the story. But Because it's kids' camp and because we're telling a story, I thought it would be a little bit of fun to have a little bit of story time music. So Amy, if you would, if you would provide me with just a little bit of, like, you know, that story time kids feel, do you you have something that you can, yeah? Compose, like, five minutes ago? The thing I made you compose five minutes ago, yes, that thing, yes. I'm going to try. All right, okay. It's good. I like it. I like the story time music. Everybody's into it, right? Okay. I always think stories are better with a little bit of music. Okay, so here we go. The story of Joseph. So, there's a man named Israel or Jacob, and he gave birth to a whole bunch of sons. And one of the sons that he gave birth to, his name was Joseph. And Joseph was loved more than the rest of the sons. And this bothered all the brothers because, you know, if you're one of those kids who finds favor in their parents over the other kids, you get a little bit jealous and you get a little bit bitter about that sometimes. And one of the ways that Joseph uh, was shown favor is that he was given this beautiful coat, this beautiful uh, garment. And that, for the brothers, that was the last straw. That was it. They were done. And they went, we're getting rid of Joseph. And so one of the brothers said, you know what, let's do this. Let's take his cloak off. We'll kill him. We'll dip it in some blood. We'll bring it back to our dad. We'll say he was ravaged by wild animals. Clean. And then one of the brothers went, well, maybe we should just throw him in a well because after all, he's our brother. Now you think that I'm being a little facetious, But in chapter 7, verse 27, it actually says, 
we should throw him in a well. After all, he's our brother. Have you ever had that kind of relationship? <laughs> Anyways. So Joseph, <laughs> yeah, there we go. So Joseph uh, gets thrown in this well, then he gets taken out of the well, then he gets sold into slavery, and eventually through this caravan and this other group of people, he gets sold to this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar is the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. He's a pretty powerful guy. And although it's hard to tell because we're skipping a lot of parts here, Joseph was blessed very much so by God. He had this special ability to tell what other people's dreams meant. This is actually one of the things that got him in trouble in the first place because Joseph had a dream in which he saw himself at the forefront and all of his brothers and even his parents in one of his dreams bowing down and worshiping him. You wonder why they didn't like him that much. So, he is sent away, and because he's blessed by God, he thrives in Potiphar's home. He ends up in charge of all of the things that Potiphar is, and the Bible says that he was so much in command, and there was so much security and trust in him, that the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was the things that he ate. And so Joseph, it says, was also pretty attractive. And so one day, Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph and propositions him to come to bed with her. And he refuses. And she does it a couple more times. And at one point, she clears out everybody from the house so it's just them. And he refuses. And when he runs away the one time, he leaves a garment with him, or he leaves a garment behind, a cloak behind. And so Potiphar's wife, upset, goes to Potiphar and says, he came on to me, and I was terrified, and when I screamed, he ran. And so Potiphar feels betrayed, and Joseph ends up in prison. So things aren't looking that good for Joseph, but because God is always with Joseph, Joseph then gains favor with the prison guards, and eventually is put in charge of a lot of things that are happening in and around the prison, which leads him into a relationship with the Pharaoh's cupbearer. You can see why we're skipping all this. It's a very long story with the Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker because they had fallen out of, fair, uh, out of favor with him. And one night, the cupbearer and the baker both have dreams. And they're very bothered by the dreams. And Joseph walks up to them and he says, hey, you guys don't look so good this morning. What's going on? And they go, probably, well, we're in prison, but also this other thing. And they say, we had this dream. And Joseph says, tell me about it. And so through the dreams, Joseph uh, determines that the cupbearer within three days will be brought back into the fold. His status will be elevated. He'll be back being the cupbearer for the Pharaoh. But within three days, the baker will be dead. And both things come true. And Joseph's only request of the cupbearer is, hey, when this happens, when you go back to Pharaoh, please remember me favorably. So the cupbearer ends up back in his spot, but I don't know if he forgets, he doesn't remember, or he doesn't want to you know, he doesn't want to shake the cage because he just got back into good favor. He forgets to tell the Pharaoh about Joseph. And for the next couple of years, Joseph stays in the prison until one day the Pharaoh has a dream. And the Pharaoh sends out people from all across the land who he thinks can come back and can tell him what the dream means and nobody can. But then the cupbearer goes, hey, I met this guy in prison. And he told me what the dream that I had was and it came true. So they bring Joseph up, 
clean him up a little bit, comes before the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph goes, what your dream means is that there's going to be seven years of famine, or sorry, seven years of favorable crops, of a high-yield crop, followed by seven years of famine. So you've got to get ready. And so Pharaoh goes, oh, okay. And he keeps Joseph around. And eventually, Joseph ends up in charge of all of that work. Joseph is in charge of the storehouses and making sure that there's enough grain to last through the seven years of famine. And then the famine comes. And and all the people of Egypt come and have to actually come to Joseph to get their grain rations so that they can survive through the famine. One of the groups of people that was having trouble surviving through the famine was Joseph's family and all of his brothers. And when his father finds out that Egypt has these rations, they say, go to Egypt and purchase some food. So all of the brothers go. And who do they end up before? They end up before Joseph. But Joseph hides his identity from them for a while, and he actually gives them quite a hard time. He calls them spies. He says they're there to trick them, to infiltrate. You Hebrews are just here to get inside and find out what's going on. And they say, no, 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 no. We just want something to eat. So eventually... Joseph saddles them all up with the food they eat and sneaks their payment back in their bag so they don't notice it until they get back home. Now, a little while later, they run out of food again. And so they go back to Egypt, but this time they bring their youngest brother as well, Benjamin, because they were told by Joseph to make sure if you ever come back back to see me again, you bring your, your younger brother too. And so they bring the younger brother back. They have the same conversation And they fill the bags and they send him off. But just before they send him off, Joseph takes his own personal silver cup and he puts it in the bag of Benjamin. He frames him as a thief. And they send him off. And a little while later, Joseph goes, hey, this thing of mine is missing. Go check those guys. And they check them and they say, it wasn't us. And Joseph goes, well, if it wasn't you, empty your bags. And they go, no problem. And they empty the bags and the cup falls out. And they all go, "Uh uh-oh, we didn't put that there but nobody's going to believe them. And so now Joseph's got them. And they go back and forth and they have a little bit of this fight until finally Joseph's heart is too soft. He can't do it anymore. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And this is a big moment in Scripture. This is a huge moment of redemption and forgiveness And Joseph says, it's me, it's me. And they go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's okay. And they talk it out. And then the Pharaoh finds out that it's Joseph's family that has come to visit Joseph. And he loves Joseph so much that he goes, Pharaoh says, send your brothers back. Get your dad, get the rest of your family, get your kids, get your wives, get everybody. You can move here. We will look after you through the famine. And at the end of the story, Joseph and his brothers are redeemed. Thanks, Amy. (laughs) Now, we could have read all through that, but we didn't because that was a really long story. And yes, I skipped a lot of parts, but that's the gist of the story that the kids are going to learn this week. Now, there are five big bottom lines that the kids are going to learn this week, and they are displayed here on this very fun-looking graphic that I have for you. Uh, Nope, not that one. Let's try the other one first, and we'll do that one next. We'll give it a second here. The five bottom lines seem... Oh, there they are. Okay. So on the first day, we're going to go through uh, Joseph's uh, family feud, 
in Genesis 37, and the kids are going to walk away with this idea, this idea that God loves you no matter what. And then on day two, Joseph is in prison, Genesis 39 and 40. And the kids are going to be reminded that God is with you everywhere. Now on the third day of camp, on Wednesday, Joseph gets new responsibilities, right? And we find out that God is in charge. These are great. The fourth day, we're going to pull out of the story of Joseph for a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus and remember that God is stronger than everything. And then on day five, when that redemption story happens. So on day four, we find out Jesus redeeming all of us. And then the fifth day, we see the story of Joseph and his brothers being redeemed. We find out that God is sometimes a little bit surprising. Now, I want you to look at these. Now, let's like ignore like the graphics and the whatever and all that. These are really, really great bottom lines for kids to walk away with. God loves you no matter what. God is with you everywhere. God is in charge. God is stronger than anything. God is surprising. Most people, if you are a person who has been following Jesus or is thinking about it or you've been there for a while, would say these would be important things to be able to believe if we're going to follow Jesus. And because it's on a cool, fun little graphic like this and it's kids camp and we've got t-shirts and mountains and all the stuff out there, we think these concepts are pretty easy for a kid to grasp. That's why we do it. When we're teaching uh, you know, a six to 12-year-olds about kids, we, we try to give them something that they can grasp, something that they can hold on to. But here's the thing about these concepts. If we strip away all of the decorations, if we strip away the big graphic, if we strip away the t-shirts and the soul team and the dancing and the singing, Although these concepts could actually be pretty easy for kids because of where their development is, for us as adults, these are actually pretty deep. They're pretty tough theological concepts to grab. Let's let's look at these for a second. And before we go through them here, so let's, let's strip all this away. Do you have one? I think you have one with just the words on it, right? Do we have that graphic? So... So let's take the the pictures away and let's just put that one up. I talked to some people around here this week. Like I said, there was a lot of people around here this week. And so I started walking around a bunch of the folks that were decorating and I said, what do you think of these five concepts? God loves you no matter what. What do you think about? And here's how I framed the question. I said, God loves you no matter what. As a kid learning that is actually pretty easy. Not only that, it's pretty assuring. Because most kids don't need to do a lot to gain the love and favor of the people around you. And not only that, kids crave that and they look for it. So to find out that there's somebody who loves them no matter what, for a kid is actually a pretty easy thing to believe. Because most of the people in their lives up until that point have loved them no matter what. But if you're like 13, 14, or older, so if you're like 13 plus in the room and I say adults today, I'm talking about you too, just so you know. You're an adult this morning. So there we go. God loves you no matter what is actually, it's actually a bit of a harder concept because we've lived a little. Because we've never really experienced anybody who loves us no matter what in every moment, all the time. We've done some stuff 
we've seen some stuff. I talked to some people around here this week, and I said, what do you think about when you hear these concepts? Somebody said to me, I think this is easy when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, it's actually pretty difficult. And I went, yeah, that's, that's smart. One person said, weakness is inevitable. So when I feel weak, this is a really hard concept for me to grab. I said, okay, that's cool. One person looked at me and said, the first thing I think about is cancel culture. And I went, oh, that's interesting, because that's like a loaded statement. So anytime anybody says something that's like politically loaded, I go like, okay, where's this going to go? And they said, we live in a world right now where you can live your whole life, say one thing, and everything else get, what gets wiped out. And I went, yeah, that's, that's really deep. That's actually somebody not loving you no matter what. That's loving you up to a point and then no longer loving you, right? Somebody said, what about people that do really bad things or horrible things, things we read about in the news, things in the past? Does God love those people no matter what? Through this concept, kids often think about themselves. God loves me no matter what. But adults, we think about other people. Does God love them no matter what? It's really interesting. Look at the second one. God is with you everywhere. As a kid, this is actually a security blanket. God is with me everywhere. God is always looking out for me, always walking with me, always caring for me. This is how we can teach it to kids because that's how kids theologically like, get this in the moment. But what about adults? Do you like the idea that somebody is with you everywhere all the time? At what point did you become a person who appreciated or wanted a little bit of privacy? Adults just sort of bring this stuff in a little bit different. Somebody this week said to me, it's really reassuring to know that God is with me everywhere because it means that I can always lean and depend on Him when I have a moment of weakness. But somebody else said to me, actually, I'm not sure how I feel about that because when I do things that I know I'm not supposed to do, I'm not a big fan of God watching me do it. It's really interesting. One person came up to me and said, as a kid, I was taught that in the book of life there are little checks and X's beside my name. And every time I do something good, I get a check. And every time I get an X, I do something bad. And I think about the X, then if, if God is with me all the time, what does that look like if he's all over the place? Right? One person came up to me and said, I think about it like God leaves the 99 to come find me. It's not that he's watching me all the time, but it's that he's with me all the time. And those two things are different. You see how a simple theological concept for kids becomes really deep and challenging for us. Let's do the third one. This one's a lot of fun. God is in charge. Now, for kids, this is, again, comforting, reassuring. Why? Because we know through action and through psychology that kids actually need structure. Kids need somebody to be in charge of what's going on because they know that they're not in control. And although they try to assert their control, really it's important for us to make sure that we have structure for our kids or they go off the rails a little bit. We know that. So God is in charge is actually something that gives kids a little bit of peace. But let me ask you, 
At what point in your life did you start to try to take charge? At what point in your life were you like, I'm 13, I'm 14, I'm 15. I can make my own decisions now. I do want to do this. I don't want to do that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm in charge. I'm the one calling the shots. I'm the one making the decisions. Kids don't really think about it that way, but we do, and so it actually changes a little bit what this concept means. I talked to a couple people this week. One person said that it was a ton of relief to know that God was in charge because the person said to me, if God's not in charge, what then? I thought that was really great. And somebody else came to me and went, you know, this one's actually really hard um, because I just like to be in control. And so the idea that I'm not in control of all the things that I'm doing is a real struggle for me. Interestingly, if you watch through media, like social media now, but if you've talked to people getting to know Jesus or learning about Christianity or religion in general, one of the big hurdles to believing in Jesus is this concept, is this idea that God is always lording this book of rules over you. That God is in charge of your every movement, your every thought, your every feeling. That you can't make decisions. That you're not autonomous. That there's all these rules you need to follow. This concept that we're teaching kids is so important as we grow up actually becomes a hurdle to our faith. Now we're only through three of these so far. This is a pretty deep week we're about to go through. How about the fourth one? God is stronger than anything. This is hard for us a little bit. It's easy for kids. It's easy for kids because just about everybody is stronger than a kid, right? Like, I won't, but I could beat up a kid. I'm pretty big, depending on the kid, <laughs> right? I could do it. Most people, most adults are bigger and stronger than kids. So the idea that God is stronger than everybody, even the people that they don't like or they've had trouble with, that's reassuring. How does that change for us? We've never really met anything that's stronger than anything else. Think about it the way, you probably haven't thought about it this way, but if you really do, there's probably nobody you've ever met that you've ever gone, that's the strongest person, because there's always somebody else. That's the strongest material. That's the strongest thing. That's the strongest bridge. There's always something stronger. So as we get older and our minds expand, we go, is there really something stronger than everything else? That's actually a really difficult concept for us to grab into. I talked to a couple people about this this week. This was the one that I had the least amount of answers with because it was the one that the most amount of people had trouble articulating, which is really interesting. What does it mean when God is stronger than anything when we're adults? In this fifth one, God is surprising. Now, as a kid, that's probably easy because we see all of these stories and like these big, like, like the story of Joseph. This bad thing happens. Then this good thing happens. Then this bad thing happens. Then this good thing happens. We're on a journey. It's a story. It's a narrative. Kids learn that way. That's really cool. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. God is really surprising. But as adults... How does that make us feel? Do we like that? Wow, God's grace and redemption, I'm really surprised by that. Or have you ever had a concept where you've been, oh, wow, I'm really surprised by that. There are a lot of people that read through Scripture and go, wow, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that 
God was okay with that happening. That's a bit of a shock to me. Now, here's the problem that you're going to have with this morning's sermon. I've just put in, oh, I don't know, 25 or 30 questions about your faith that I don't really have that much time to answer. Nor do I intend to. (laughs) So here's the challenge for this week. What I want us to do is I want us to go through this week and I want us to remember two things. The first is I want us to think about these five concepts and go, which one is the easiest for me? Which one is the hardest for me? Actually, let's do something together. James, can you throw up that QR QR code slide there for me? If you have a phone with you, please take it out of your pocket now. We've got a couple minutes. Everybody take your phone out. If you have a phone, take it out. Don't worry, it's anonymous. Your name won't be attached to it. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to this website, slidu.com, or you can just take your phone and you can go to the camera and you can sort of get there on the QR code and it'll just open this survey for you. I'm going to give you just a minute to figure that out. I want you to go on this website or with your camera, I want you to scan this QR code. Because I've got a question that I'm really curious about the answer from everybody here. So again, it's an anonymous survey. Nobody's going to see you take it. If you've got your phone, please grab it this morning. You've got another 30 seconds or so for me to vamp here, and then we're going to ask this question. This is really important for us to think about this week because some of your kids are going to come home having learned this stuff, and you're going to have to go, how do I supplement this? How do I teach about this? How do I think about this? Some of you are going to have to go home and go, how do I get over the adult brain of me to help teach my kids this? And so let's go to the question. Here's the one question that I have for you that I want you to think about right now. And we're doing this interactively in the room uh, so that we can actually see where all of us are at. So can I have that question slide there uh, really quickly? We're working out all the bugs for the week this morning. It's very exciting. Oh, almost there. I'm going to have to tell a joke soon. That's not going to be good. Brian, do you have any good jokes? Yeah, you do. Come on. No. This is, oh, there we go. Oh, oh, look, a bunch of people have taken the survey already. Wonderful. Which one of these kids camp bottom lines is most difficult for you? Look at that. So I don't know how many people have taken the survey. It could be like six. Wait, is there a math teacher in here? Would that actually work? Probably not. Oh, is it 39 so far? That's great. Okay. Everybody here struggles the most, it seems, or the majority of people struggle the most with this concept that God is in charge. And then all the rest were tied after that. That's really interesting to me. First of all, that's really good for you to know. Second, it's good for us to know where we're all at. But look at this. We, more than half of us struggle the most with this concept that God is in charge. And then the next one is that God loves us no matter what. We don't really struggle that much with God is everywhere or God is surprising. But look at those first two. Like 70% of us, God loves you no matter what and God is in charge. We're going to teach the kids that this week. Those are really important things for us to learn. And next week, during the Sunday morning sermon, I'm going to lean into a couple of these things, and we're going to give some answers, just like we give throughout the week. 
But here's what I want you to do this week. Here's the action step for you. Because sometimes faith development is somebody like me standing up here and teaching you something. Sometimes faith development is you going to a small group or a Bible study or a friend and asking a question. Sometimes it's you getting information. And sometimes it's you thinking about it and praying about it and going to find it. So at the back, we have a whole bunch of these half-page cards. And these half-page cards have the bottom lines for each day on them. And I would like everybody in this room to walk out with one. The people at the doors have them. There's no reason for you to not walk out. And just for one week, I'm not asking for it to be infinite. Uh, You don't have to do it forever. But just for this week, I want you to put it somewhere prominent in your house. The fridge, the bathroom mirror, your computer monitor while you're trying to work, whatever you want to do. The kitchen table while you're having dinner with your friends or your kids. And I want you to just be reminded of the things that our kids are learning this week. And I want you to start thinking about how you're learning about those things and what you think about them. Because this is important not only for your faith development, but for the faith development of the kids that are going to be here and for your kids who might come and go from camp. Because this week, I think about 95% of the people that are in this room are people that normally go to IPC. But next week, that's probably going to change. Traditionally, on the week after camp, there's a whole bunch of people that come here. We have a big barbecue and a party, and there's a whole lot of stuff. And kids from the community that might not come to church all the time will come. And because they're kids, they're probably not coming by themselves. They're probably bringing their parents. And at some point next week, somebody might walk up to you and go, hey, my kids learned this thing this week, but I've got a question. What does it mean that God is always in charge? What does it mean that God loves people no matter what? Because I know some pretty bad people. What does that mean, actually? And I don't know who it's going to be that gets walk up to and ask a question this week, next week, but I would guess that that conversation is going to happen somewhere. And we've talked a lot over the last few months about getting ready to build into our community, to talk to people about Jesus. Our our mission statement is to introduce people to Jesus and deepen our faith. Part of introducing people to Jesus is being able to answer these simple questions for kids and these tough questions questions for us. So next week, I'm going to come with a few more answers than questions. I promise. But this week, I'm going to leave you with a few more questions than answers because I want you to go out and think about what these things mean in your faith and to the people around you. And if somebody were to walk up to you this week or next week and say, hey, what does it mean that God is stronger than anyone? I want you to be thinking about that and know how to answer it. Is that okay? Can we do that? Can we commit to that as a church a little bit together? I have like four nods and a lot of people that look terrified. (laughs) It's tough. We had this conversation this week in and around, and everybody that I talked to went, yeah, these are hard. And some of them are hard, and some of them are easy, and it depends on the moment, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But I want you to really dig into that stuff this week, because the kids are going to. And eventually those kids are going to learn that the way that they viewed that bottom line as a kid needs to move to how they view it as an adult. And what they're going to need is adults around them that can bridge that gap. 
And that group of people is you. So we need to get there a little bit first. So I'm going to pray for you to help you do that. I would challenge you to pray through this stuff this week and make sure you walk out with one of these so that you're always reminded of all of the things that God says He is and how powerful He is in our lives and how no matter what happens at the end of every story, God always redeems His people. Let's pray together. God, thank You so much for this morning. Thank You that uh, You are a God that loves us no matter what and that You are everywhere and that You are in charge and that You are stronger than everybody and that You are surprising. God, we're thankful for those things even though sometimes they're really hard for us to figure out and how they mean and how they work and what that looks like in our lives. And so God, I pray that You would help us do that this week that you would reveal moments in our lives and in our faith through our study or our prayer or our friends, that you would reveal to us the ways that you do these things in our lives, not just so that our faith can grow, but so that we can talk about other people about how cool these things are as well. God, we're thankful that you sent Christ to be the ultimate redeemer. We're thankful for a story like Joseph and his redemption. Lord, we pray this morning as we sing one more song and as we move out of this place and into a huge week here at the church next week, that you would be with the kids and the parents and the families and the volunteers and the, in front of the scenes and behind the scenes and everybody that's here, that God, you would tell them that you are with them, that you are stronger, that you do love them. God, let us experience those things this week so that not only do we have an intellectual answer, but we have an answer that comes from you and from the heart that we can talk to other people about. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this week. In Jesus' name.